You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Well, today we are in part number nine of a series called Increase. And what I've loved about this series so far is that we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about some very specific things like our health, our marriages, our finances, but we've also talked about some broad things like how do we increase on waiting on God's timing, waiting on the Lord? How do we increase in having more peace in our lives? And we've pulled all of this from John 3.30. You've got to have it memorized by now, right? This short verse that is a huge principle. It says this, this is John the Baptist. He said, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. And we've just simply said, look, if we will apply this to every area of our life saying, Lord, let your will be done, not mine. Let, Let what you want to happen, not my opinions, not my wants. Lord, I submit to you. I'm decreasing. I'm going to increase you. We just open the door for God to work more fully in our lives and do what he wants to do. We serve a good father who wants good things for you, who has good things for you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And sometimes in order to see those things come to pass, we simply need to decrease and get out of the way so that God can do what God wants to do. Today, we are going to talk about how do we increase in hope? How do we increase in hope whenever life isn't going or doesn't go as planned. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a a story from Luke 24, Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bible, go to Luke 24. I'm going to read from the New King James today. And this story happens right after Jesus has gone to the cross. He's been crucified. He's been dead for three days. He has been resurrected. He's come back to life, but his disciples don't know that yet. Uh, specifically these two disciples that we're going to look at, they have no idea that Jesus has come back to life just yet. But you can imagine where these two disciples are as we read this story. They are crushed. They are disappointed. They are devastated because everything they, they thought was going to happen has been destroyed because Jesus, their Messiah, was crucified and put to death. And now they are walking hopeless through this life. And so we're going to see how Jesus shows up and how he puts hope back in them. And so we're going to look at their story about increasing in hope and see how it applies to us. And so here's what, here's what we're going to look at. Um, we're going to talk about how to increase in hope. Let me read part of the story and then we'll start breaking it down uh, together. So Luke 24, starting in verse 13, it says this, Now behold, two of them, this is two disciples, were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. They didn't know it was Jesus that was walking with them. They were spiritually kind of blinded. Verse 17. And Jesus said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas, he answered and he said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? I love the response here. Obviously, Jesus knows, right? It's Jesus. What things? Let's let's talk about it. And so they continue. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all 
the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. So let's pause here for just a second and kind of break down what's happening. So Jesus shows up, he's walking with them. They don't realize that it's Jesus and they are, again, devastated at what has taken place. These two disciples are devastated. They're disappointed because things are not going how they had planned, right? Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah. He was supposed to redeem Israel. Like things were supposed to change when Jesus showed up. And to them, from their perspective, Things have not changed. Things have just gotten drastically worse. And so today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about how do we have hope for the future when life doesn't go as planned. And from this story, we can pick, pick out three very simple and basic things. But oftentimes, I know I say this a lot, but oftentimes the spiritually simple, the spiritually basic things are the things that sometimes seem too easy to do. And so we don't do them. So we don't experience all that God has for us. But God constantly reminds us in his word, just as Jesus constantly reminded his disciples, look, sometimes it's the simple things. It's the basic things that increase our faith, that open the door for God to move uh, in a greater capacity in our life. And so the first thing we need to do, if we're going to increase in hope, is the first thing I have to do is I have to deal with my disappointment. I need to deal with my disappointment. Uh, and I'll kind of break this down here. Uh, you know, uh, I think it's interesting that they, Jesus drew near to these two disciples and they couldn't tell that it was Jesus. And I think part of that is they were spiritually blinded, that God, the Holy Spirit, put, kind of put blinders up where they couldn't recognize Jesus. But I also think that they couldn't tell it was Jesus that walked with them because of their despair, because they were so disappointed in what had happened. In fact, we just by the way they talk, you can see how devastated they were. And I think it's interesting. Jesus asked, why, why are you having this conversation? Why are you so sad? And here's how they respond. This gives us insight into where they're at emotionally, spiritually, mentally, like they are distraught. Here's what they say. They call Jesus a prophet. They said, do you not know the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet? That's interesting verbiage because was Jesus a prophet? Yes, he operated in that role, absolutely. But when Jesus was alive, his disciples knew and proclaimed to him that he was the Messiah, that he was the, the, the one that would come that would redeem Israel, redeem the world. He was the Messiah. So what's interesting is that they called Jesus a prophet. They do not call him their Messiah anymore. So you can see they have given up hope on Jesus actually being the Messiah. Uh, their messianic hopes had been crushed, if you want to put it that way. It had been completely crushed. In fact, what I, I think is interesting, then they take it a step further and they say, we were hoping, we were hoping that Jesus would redeem Israel. And I think oftentimes this gives us good insight into how we uh, handle disappointment. They said we were hoping he would redeem Israel. But what was the plan of God sending Jesus? For God so loved the world that he gave. He so loved the world. You see, Jesus came to redeem the world. He, he created a way for not just the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well to come into the family of God. 
The disciples were so focused on redeeming Israel, their focus was too small. Their thinking was too small. And I think this is a great reminder that sometimes why do our prayers go unanswered? Sometimes it's because we were praying too small a prayer and God was working on the big picture that we didn't see. Lord, sometimes you pray for a relationship. Maybe whenever you were in high school or something, you had a girlfriend or a boyfriend that you were praying that you would get married. And then, you know, it didn't work out. And 10 years go by and you get married and you look back and you say, oh, I dodged a bullet there. Lord, thank you that I did not marry that person. Thank you for not answering that prayer. Have you ever been in that situation? Once some years go by, once some time goes by, a situation passes and you say, Lord, thank you for not answering the prayers that I was praying in that season. Many times, sometimes our prayers go unanswered because God's working on the big picture and we're focused and praying on something small. We're thinking too small. That's what the disciples were doing here. But let's get back to dealing with the disappointment. Uh, I, I would say this, until we deal with disappointment, until you deal with the disappointment of your unmet expectations. You aren't able to see and you aren't able to believe what is actually true about your life or your circumstance. Let me just say that again. Until you deal with the disappointment of your unmet expectations. Lord, I was expecting you to do this. Lord, I was expecting this to happen. Until you deal with that, you aren't able to see clearly and believe what is actually true about your life and about your circumstance. You got to think every lie that you've believed about God, every lie that you've believed about yourself must be taken captive before you can see clearly the road ahead. Sometimes we get so hung up on a disappointment that we can't get our eyes fixed back on Jesus. We can't get our eyes fixed on what does tomorrow hold. We have no hope for tomorrow because of how disappointing the the situation, how, how devastating the season we are in. And so uh, sometimes we have to make, we have to fight, if you will, to get our eyes fixed on Jesus again, because it's so distracting to say, Lord, we were believing for this and it did not happen. Uh, But I I will say this, the longer you walk with God, the more you will need to crucify your disappointment. The longer you walk with God, the more you're going to have to crucify your disappointment because things aren't always going to go the way that you planned that they would go. Not every prayer that you think, again, sometimes we pray too small. Not every prayer is going to be answered the way that you think it should be answered. God has a greater perspective. Does that mean we don't pray? No, it means that we still engage in prayer, but we do it how Jesus said, Lord, let your will be done on earth, in my life, in my family, as it is in heaven. And when we do that, we open the door for God to answer our prayer in a much greater way, beyond our understanding sometimes, beyond our perspective sometimes. And it's, and it's a big deal. We've got to pray for God's will to be done. But all of us, all of us have had things that we prayed for that didn't turn out the way that we wanted. Everyone can relate to that. Everyone can relate to, I mean, I prayed and it just didn't happen. It didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to happen. But I will say this, if you don't place your disappointment, if you don't place your disappointment at the foot of the cross, it will become the idol that you worship. If you don't place your disappointment at the foot of the cross and deal with it and give it to Jesus, it will become the idol that you worship. So many times we have traumatic things, real trauma that takes place in our lives. 
or situations that are heavy, that are serious. And too many times, rather than dealing with them in a biblical way, dealing with them by God's word so that we can find freedom from them, we don't deal with them and we continue to go back to them and we almost bow down to them as an idol in our lives. Well, I'm still struggling with this. I'm still battling this. I'm still facing this. Now, we have to make a decision. There's a couple of ditches that we can get into in these situations. Uh, I think too many believers identify themselves by their disappointments. They identify themselves by their trauma. They identify themselves by their past. Too many believers identify themselves by their disappointments rather than by the truth of God's word. We've got to make a decision here to be in the middle of the road and refuse to let our unanswered prayers, refuse to let our heartaches, refuse to let our disappointments, refuse to let our seemingly lost battles identify who we are. Our identity still comes from God's word, even when we face battles that didn't turn out maybe the way we thought that they should in this season. I'm not, but I'm not living in denial that disappointment took place. That's the other ditch, right? I think sometimes we face disappointment and then in the name of faith, well, I'm just going to have faith and I'm not going to grieve or mourn. I'm just going to move past this and try to not ever deal with the disappointment. And I think sometimes we either uh, fall in one ditch where it becomes an idol that we always go back to and it's our identity or the other ditch where we just continue to hide it and, and just kind of cram it down. And uh, a lot of times men are really good at this where we just kind of keep everything inside. We keep it bottled up inside and we never actually deal with it. And sometimes we think that's how having faith. Well, I'm just going to, you know, internalize it. I'm going to deal with it in my own way, but we never actually deal with it. This is why Jesus said in Matthew five, he said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. If you never allow yourself to mourn, you'll never find comfort and healing from God. And that's what we need to do. If I'm going to deal with my disappointment, I've got to take some time. When I face a situation that is disappointing, that is devastating, that is depressing, when I face a situation like that, I need to take some time and ask the Lord and have some faithful people around me to help me process what I'm going through to cry with me if, if I need to cry, to, to, uh, to help me work through, to help me look at God's word, to help me get recharged and try to get healthy again. But here's what we have to realize though. Again, we can't get into one ditch or the other. Mourning and, and, and mourning for a season is necessary. It's necessary, but God never designed you to stay in the mourning season. You see, that's getting back into the ditch of making our disappointment our idol. People get hung up on something that traumatic that happened in their life and they never work past it. They never deal with it. And so they just get hung up in this vicious cycle and God's saying, no, take time to mourn, take time to deal with it. Talk to God about it. Talk to friends about it. Talk to a pastor about it, a counselor about it. Work through it so that you can gain some health. Psalm 23 says this, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I love that because it reminds us we, we, are, we are going to walk through some dark seasons. That's going to happen. But we are not called to camp out in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not called to, to get a tent and to live and to, to park there in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not meant to stay in the valley of the shadow of death for the rest of my life. 
I, yeah, I will walk through it, but that's God's desire. He says, let me walk alongside you. Let us walk through this together. I'm going to keep you safe. You don't have to fear any evil, but I will walk you through and get you through the other side of this dark season. But if you don't deal with your disappointment, then your disappointment is going to deal with you. If you don't deal with your disappointment, it will deal with you and it's going to eat your lunch for years to come and it's going to steal things that God has for you in the future. It's going to steal your joy. It's going to steal your peace. It's going to steal your love and for other people. If you don't deal with your disappointment, it is going to deal with you. But Jesus shows up in this story. I love that he begins to ask questions that he already knows the answer to. And he begins to ask these questions because he's trying to get them to deal with or crucify their disappointments. He's saying, tell me about it. Let's talk about it a little bit. Why don't you get it out is what he's saying. Hey, let's deal with that disappointment. And then once we get done dealing with it, we're going to move forward here. But the second thing that he does, he says, deal with your disappointment. Second thing we see in this is I need to develop my faith. I've got to develop my faith. If I'm going to increase in hope when my life doesn't go as planned, I need to develop my faith. Let's continue reading Luke 24, verse 25. It says this, Then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Here's what I love about this. He's, he shows up. He begins to help them deal with their disappointment. But now he's beginning to build their faith again. He's begin, beginning to uh, build their faith by giving them perspective again. One of the first things that Jesus does is he reminds them of scripture. He says, isn't this what was foretold? And all the prophets talked about this. They, they, they prophesied about how the Messiah would have to go through these things. And what's interesting is these two disciples most likely would have many of those passages from those prophets memorized. They would have them memorized up here, but they had failed to let this type of, of, of smarts and knowing of God go to their heart. They had head knowledge, but they didn't have their heart knowledge, which was belief in the scriptures. They knew about the scriptures, but they didn't believe the scriptures. And that was the difference. The first thing that Jesus shows them to develop their faith, he says, let, let me point you back to scripture. Scripture has talked about this. You knew this was going to happen. Why have you so easily forgotten what scripture has said? Because you've forgotten, you've gotten spiritually dull. Because you've gotten spiritually dull, you are devastated and in disappointment. You have no hope. He said, you've got, to get, you've got to remind yourself of what scripture says. It's the first thing Jesus does. And only after Jesus reminded them of what the scripture said, were their eyes beginning to be open. And well, they weren't totally open just yet, but they began to see and develop their faith again. It began to grow again. Their faith began to build again. Why? Because they were hearing scripture. And that's what Romans 10, 17 says. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus begins to quote scripture to them. And when they hear the scripture, what happens? Their faith is built. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They continue to hear it. The disciples' spiritual dullness, it came from a failure to recognize and a failure to remember what the scriptures foretold about the Messiah's suffering. How could they be so dull spiritually? They weren't sharp. They weren't active. They weren't bold. How could they be so dull? They had forgotten. They, for, they had forgotten. They forgot to remember. They forgot to recognize and believe 
all that the scriptures had said. And this is so common. So many times it's easy to, to look at the disciples and say, well, man, if I was in their shoes, I wouldn't have done that. But let's be honest, we've all done this. We've all been in this exact same situation, not physically walking with Jesus, but spiritually walking with Jesus. And we forget his word and we're devastated. We are without hope. We are hopeless and we're disappointed. And so many times the Holy Spirit just comes and does what he does best as he says, remember the words of Jesus. Remember the word of God. He points us back to God's word to build our faith and to develop our faith once again. This is so common, but too many times we believe what we see with our eyes, our physical eyes, our natural eyes, over what we've been told and what we believe in our heart or with our faith. We believe what we see in the natural over what we see in the uh, supernatural or in the spiritual. And this is what the world says, right? Culture will tell you this. The, the, the world will say this. Well, uh, let me see it first. And then I will believe, right? Culture will tell you, well, if you can show me that Jesus was, you know, uh, the son of God, that he was raised back to life again, then I will believe. The world says that, culture says that, but here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you will believe first, then you will see it all come to pass. If you'll believe first, you will have eyes to see it second. And I think this is why in John 20, verse 29, Jesus said to Thomas, he says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But look at this right here. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who didn't see it and see Jesus in the natural and, and be able to see everything that was going on and touch him. Blessed are those who have not seen yet still have believed. And so here's the question. Do I know God's word enough to believe him over what I can see with my natural eyes. Let me ask that again. Do I know God's word enough to believe him over what I see with my natural eyes? Because this is what the, we're the disciples. This is the exact question we should be asking these two disciples. Do you, you know the scripture, but do you believe it enough to, 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 <laughs> to believe it over what you're seeing in the natural and what you're experiencing in the natural? Because they were experiencing what they thought was death devastation and disappointment. But what God was doing in the spiritual was that he was bringing new life and fresh life and a new covenant with Jesus as he brought him back to life. Um, but here's what I will say. Without studying God's word, we become just like the disciples. If I'm not a student of God's word, it doesn't mean I have to take eight hours a day and be in God's word. If you, if you can do that, that's great. But there's very few people who, who can do that. But you need to know scripture. You need to be reading God's word every day, even if it's a, a verse a day, part of a proverb a day, reading through the gospels. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a full chapter. Read a section, read a few verses, meditate on it. You've got to be consuming God's word. Without studying God's word, we become just like the disciples in this story, which is quick to forget and spiritually dull. And then whenever we face a hopeless situation or a devastating situation, we will lose all hope because we might have some head knowledge, but we haven't spent time with God to develop the heart knowledge to continue on even when it feels hopeless. So what do we have to do? Number one is we see in the story, we got to deal with our disappointment. I've got to deal with it. I'm not living in denial of it, but I've got to learn to move and to work through it and to move past it so I can experience what God has for me in the future. Deal with our disappointment. I need to, de to develop my faith. The best way to do that is to get in God's word. Jesus himself showed up and what did he start doing to build their faith again? He reminded them of scripture. 
That's what Jesus wants to do for us. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's what he said. He said, the Holy Spirit won't speak on his own authority, but he will say and remind you of the things that I have said. That's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. That's why he's giving you the Holy Spirit, to remind you of God's word. Point number three is this. Determine to abide. Determine to abide. And this is where we kind of wrap up this story, or at least the part of the story that we're going to look at today. That word determine means to firmly decide to firmly decide. I want you to remember that as we finish these last two verses here. Luke 24, verse 28 says, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and Jesus indicated that he would have gone farther. Basically, Jesus was acting like he was going to continue on his journey, and they were going to stop at the village. And he was like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep walking forward. But I love this, verse 29, But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And Jesus went in to stay with them. I love this. I love this. I love this. This is so good. They constrained him. Uh, Another translation says they forcibly pleaded with Jesus. They forcibly pleaded with him. What? They cornered him. They said, hang on. You're You're not going anywhere. Please don't go. Please Come in with us. They, they, they forcibly pleaded, no, come in, be with us. Let's continue our conversation. Let's continue our communion together. And what I love is that in Luke 24, we see two actions of Jesus. There are two actions that we see. The first one is that Jesus draws near to the brokenhearted. So when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when you walk through a disappointing, a devastating, a traumatic experience, guess what? Jesus is closer than you think he is. He is drawing near to the brokenhearted. That's where he saw his disciples devastated and in disappointment and without hope. And he came alongside them and he said, let me draw near to them. Let me begin to build their faith again. Let me begin to get them healthy again and get past their disappointment. Jesus draws near to the brokenhearted, but I love that he doesn't stay there. He doesn't just stay near. The second thing that he does is that he abides with the faith-filled believers. He draws near to the brokenhearted but then he abides with the faith-filled believers. What is abiding? It means to remain as one. He's not just close. No, he is becoming one with you. He's reminding you that he's given you his spirit and that you can be one as he has talked about, as he's shared in, in the scriptures. He says, no, I want to abide with you. I want to be with you. I want to be near you and with you. And I would say this, church, let us not be a people who are just satisfied with Jesus being close. Jesus being close is good. And that is a first step. Absolutely. Let us be a people, though, who will not quit pursuing Jesus until the King of glory moves in and he takes over. Until he moves into my life and he takes over my life and he is the Lord of my life. Let us not be a people who are just satisfied with Jesus is close. That's great. That's a good start. But let us forcibly plead with the King of glory saying, Lord, abide with us today. Lord, would you be with me? Lord, as I go to work, would you be with me? As I go into this meeting, would you be with me? Would you speak through me today? Lord, as I meet with this person, Lord, as I am washing these dishes today, Lord, would you be with me as I'm, I'm loving my kids today and taking care of my kids? Would you be with me? Would you, would you uh, abide with me in this season, in this hour, in this time? Let us be a people who are not, not willing to quit and 
until he comes in and he moves in and he takes over. But what I love is this. What's the key to abiding in this story? The key to abiding is invitation. Jesus is waiting on an invitation. It says they drew near to the village. Jesus indicated he was going to continue on in his journey, but they invited him. They just had to say three words, abide with us. And that's what we have to do. Lord, abide with me today. Lord, be with me today. Lord, consume my life today. Consume this job site today. Lord, consume everything I put my hand to today. Uh, what was their attitude in the invitation? They said, abide with us. But their attitude was forcibly pleading with Jesus. And what I love is that Jesus's response to that is that he says, that is the type of invitation that I am looking for. Jesus isn't looking for a passive invitation. No, he's looking for a passionate invitation. He's looking for people that are desperate for him, that are diligently seeking after him. That's why Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let me remind you, if I'm not diligently seeking God, I cannot expect God to fully reward the efforts of my life. I'll say it again. If I'm not diligently seeking I cannot expect God to fully reward the efforts of my life. Many times we tell God, well, God, I'm working hard. Why am I not seeing increase? God, I'm doing my best. Why haven't you shown up? God, I'm, I'm trying to be more loving to those coworkers of mine, to that boss of mine. Lord, I'm trying to be more forgiving to that family member of mine. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. But I would ask this, while you're doing your part, that's good. But are you diligently seeking him as well? Many times we are trying to prove ourselves to God. Lord, I'm, I'm working hard. Why haven't you shown up? God, I'm trying to forgive. Why aren't you helping me? But the question, the deeper question is not just, are you trying hard? Are you doing your part? That's, that's, that's good. You need to do your part. You need to try. Yes. But more importantly, the deeper question at the root of the issue is, are you diligently seeking? Because if I'm diligently seeking, God rewards that effort. I'll say it this way in context. God responds to that invitation. He, these disciples constrained him. They forcibly pleaded with him. They were saying, Look, no, come. we were not letting you go. <laughs> we're not letting you move out of our presence. Come in with us. Abide with us. And Jesus said, that's the invitation. That's the one that I'm looking for. And that's the one I can come in and I can do my best work. I can do my best work. So, my question would be is this, how desperate are you for the king to abide with you? How desperate are you for the king to abide with you? It can be easy to say, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm desperate. You know, I'm, I want Jesus to take over my life. I want him to, to work in my life. Yes. Let me take it. Here's another, uh, another step forward in this question here. When's the last time you forcibly pleaded with God? Not to get more stuff from him, but simply to abide with him. That's the question. When's the last time you forcibly pleaded with God not to get more stuff from him, not to get more from him, but to get more 
of Him, to abide with Him. When's the last time you just spent time in worship and in prayer, just glorifying Him, just praising Him, and not following with, Lord, thank you for today, you're so good. Also, can you bless this? Can you give me increase? Can you give me wisdom in this situation? Not following it with a request. When's the last time you just spent time with Jesus because you want to spend time with Jesus, not because you want more from him. Those, that is a great insight. And those moments are the moments when Jesus will respond and say, I will, I will come in and I will abide and I will go to work in your life. So if we're going to increase in hope, what do we have to do? How do we increase in hope when life doesn't go as planned? From this simple story that we see in the Gospels, we can simply pull out three spiritual truths. The first is this, I got to deal with my disappointment. I got to refuse to let heartbreak be my identity, right? I need to take time to mourn, absolutely, because I can find healing spiritually. That's what Jesus said. But I have to choose to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't stay there. I'm not staying there. I'm not living there. I'm not living in the devastation. I'm not living in the trauma. I'm not denying it. But Jesus said, I want to walk you through it and get you healthy out on the other side. Number two, I got to deal with my, or I got to develop my faith. Deal with my disappointment, develop my faith. Spiritual dullness comes when I'm not a student of God's word. I will quickly forget God's good character and I will quickly forget God's faithfulness. And then the number three, I got to have to determine to abide. How desperate are you? How desperate are you for the king to abide with you? When's the last time you just talked with him and you didn't ask him for anything in return. You just wanted to glorify him. You see, God wants you to have a life filled with hope, a life filled with hope. But many times we have to remind ourselves that Jesus is a gentleman. Scripture says he waits at the door and he knocks and he's, he's knocking at the, the door of your heart today. And in situations when you feel devastated, when you feel hopeless, when you're facing disappointment, when things didn't go the way you thought that they were going to go, and you're devastated and you don't know what to do and you're fighting depression, Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking and he's saying, if you will let me in, I will help you get hope. I will increase hope in your life. I will help you deal with this disappointment. I'm going to help develop your faith through the power of my Holy Spirit reminding you of my word. And then I am going to show you what it means to abide in me. And when we abide in Jesus, we produce his fruit, his spiritual fruit in our lives. God wants good things for you. He wants you to have hope. But many times he's just waiting for the invitation. And we need to passionately be devoted, be diligently seeking him and inviting him to work in our lives. Let me pray for you before we wrap up. Heavenly Father, Lord, right now I come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, I just pray right now for everyone listening to this message or watching this message right now. I pray for anyone that is facing a disappointing time, a, a devastating time, a time when things are not going the way that they thought they should go. Lord, I'm praying right now for them. Lord, I pray that through the power of your word, not mine, but through your word, Lord, would you build their faith today? Lord, you, you said you would draw near to the brokenhearted. And so, Lord, we ask you, would you be near to them today? Would you be near to us today? Would you draw near? But Lord, we don't want you just to be near. We want to abide in you. And so our heart's desire, Lord, our passion inside of our hearts is that you would come in, that you would take over and that you would consume 
our life. You consume our hearts, our life, our situation, that your will would be done in our lives, in our families, as it is in heaven. And Lord, today, into this entire series, Lord, we have just been devoted to decreasing ourselves, but increasing you. And we just say, Lord, would you speak? Would you move? Would you go to work? Would you do the impossible? Lord, would you just show up in a miraculous way in our lives? And at the end of all of it, Lord, we're going to give you praise and glory and say, look what God did. Now look what we did. Look how God showed up because he loves us that much. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for a great week ahead of us. In Jesus name, everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.